Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to Quarter Hills Q1 Fiscal 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. On this morning's call, we have Paul Hill, President and CEO, and John Rim, Chief Financial Officer. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session during which analysts are invited to ask questions. To ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone to register. Should you require any assistance during the call, please press star zero. Earlier this morning, Quarter Hill issued a news release announcing its financial results for the three-month period ended March 31, 2021. This news release, along with the company's MDNA and financial statements, will be available on Quarter Hill's website and will be filed on CDAR. Certain matters discussed during today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions could constitute forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk risk factors that could affect results are detailed in the company's annual information form and other public filings that are available on CDAR. During this conference call, Quarter Hill will refer to adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA does not have any standardized meaning prescribed by IFRS. Please refer to page three on the company's Q1 2021 management discussion and analysis for our full cautionary notes regarding the use of forward-looking statements and non-IFRS measures. <clears throat> Finally, please note that all financial information provided is in Canadian dollars unless otherwise specified. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Hill. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on today's call. In terms of an agenda, I'll start with a look at the business highlights, followed by John will take a look at the key financial highlights. Then we'll open it up for questions. We have slides to accompany our remarks, which can be viewed on the webcast portion of this call. The slides will also be available after the call on our website. In Q1, consolidated revenue was $19.3 million, and consolidated adjusted EBITDA was negative $469,000. We ended the quarter with a strong balance sheet with $132 million of cash and working capital of $155.6 million. Q1 was a good start to the year, with both portfolio companies generating positive adjusted EBITDA, despite the weakening of the U.S. dollar and the ongoing pandemic. On the M&A front, we're off to a good start in 2021. We've made two acquisitions, and we have a healthy acquisition pipeline. I'll start my review of the quarter with a look at results from each portfolio company. IRD had a good quarter with steady revenue, higher margins, and the acquisition and integration of SensorLine. IRD signed a five-year, $13 million contract with the state of New York in Q1. This is to install, manage, and maintain traffic data collection sites around New York City. The data is used to assess transportation needs and highway infrastructure performance, as well as for safety purposes, such as evacuation routing. It's part of a broader move IRD has seen within its customer base to harvest data for the purposes of improving safety 
and as a source of revenue or cost savings. IRD also launched a web-based analytics platform that is enabling cities in Belgium and France to collect and analyze vehicle, bike, and pedestrian data to enhance safety. The solution comes from IRD's Belgian subsidiary, ICON, and will also be deployed in a pilot program in Vancouver. Overall, the pipeline and order book and the outlook for IRD remain solid. YLAN had a positive adjusted EBITDA in the quarter. And while we expect the business will have its characteristic variability in 2021, on an annual basis, we expect YLAN to generate positive cash flows consistent with its track record. COVID has added delay to some litigations and license agreements, but we believe these are temporary delays only. Some of the litigations in the pipeline today include Apple regarding wireless technology, which is currently in the appeals process. In January, Wyland initiated litigation in Germany against Apple with respect to three patents related to memory interface technology. Motorola regarding wireless technology, Micron regarding semiconductor and memory technologies, and AMD regarding semiconductor memory interface and power management technologies. We continue to support Wyland's future growth as they replenish their pat patent portfolio. Wyland has about 5,000 patents today, and we continue to look to invest in new partnerships as well. In terms of the Apple trial, an oral hearing before a panel of the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit is expected to be held sometime in the fall of this year. 2021 has been an active year so far on the M&A front. In the first week of January, we acquired SensorLine, a German-based ITS provider of high-end fiber optic sensors for the road and rail market. The business was acquired at a reasonable multiple with the potential for additional revenue and cost synergies in the coming years. SensorLine's products are a strong fit with IRD's global distribution network. Financial results from SensorLine so far have met expectations, and we're already exploring and realizing opportunities for sales synergies in North America and other international markets. Our second acquisition announced last week is BDS, which is also a German-based ITS company. BDS develops, manufactures, and sells traffic monitoring devices that record driver speed and also red light interactions. BDS's devices are currently the only radar-based product certified under new regulations in Germany that enable direct enforcement for traffic violations. This fits in very well with our goal to expand our offerings in the area of enforcement. These types of products are highly sought after as governments to seek to improve safety, but also uh, identify new revenue sources. BDS has one manufacturing facility and two service centers in Germany and will be integrated into SensorLine, which is actually one of BDS's largest suppliers of sensors. We were introduced to VDS through SensorLine, and this demonstrates how our presence in the ITS industry can also lead to unique opportunities for acquisition. We are pleased to have already completed two deals in 2021 and look forward to more M&A activity during the remainder of the year. The M&A conditions in ITS are compelling, and we're given a substantial boost this year with the Biden administration's plan to spend hundreds of billions on transportation over the next eight years. We believe that the combination of massive new infrastructure spending 
and the need for governments to find new sources of revenue to pay down debt means there is no better time to be an ITS. Our target is to invest up to $400 million over the next five years to scale our ITS business. We are confident in our prospects given our existing balance sheet, access to low-cost capital, and a robust pipeline of M&A opportunities. Successful execution of this strategy will lead to greater consistency of revenue and cash flows for Quarter Hill, and we would expect that to translate into increased investor interest and a higher valuation multiple on the business in the future. A couple of final items today. We are going live with a new corporate website and an investor presentation that reflects the focus of our business strategy. The presentation can be found on our website in the investor section. Finally, we are planning several initiatives to proactively get our story out to a broader network of investors, which may include more conference appearances, targeted investor interactions and group events. We think we have a great story to tell, and we look forward to generating greater interest in Quarter Hill as an investment opportunity. With that, I'll turn it over to John for a look at the financial highlights for the quarter. Thanks, Paul, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the call, and it's uh, great to speak to you again this quarter. Starting with our top line, consolidated revenue in the first quarter was $19.3 million. As Paul mentioned, both our operating segments enjoyed solid results in the quarter. With IRD, I just want to remind everyone that the business typically experiences seasonality as less project work is performed during the colder weather months. And uh, also given that a large portion of its revenue is from North American project implementations. IRD's Q1 2021 revenue was $11.5 million compared to 11.4 in this uh, comparable period last year. IRD's Q1 revenue this year got a boost from SensorLine, which was acquired in the first week of January, but also experiences experienced some of the effects of the weakened U.S. dollar compared to the same period last year. In terms of Wyland's performance in Q1, it resulted from the execution of several agreements during the quarter, including a license agreement that settled litigation relating to TV and display technologies with LG. The license patents related to memory interface technologies and digital display and TV technologies. As we've mentioned before, Wineland's revenue may be variable quarter to quarter, but on an annual basis, the business has consistently generated strong margins in cash flow. These cash flows are an important source of capital for our M&A strategy and also to reinvest in the Wineland business itself, as is shown with the patent acquisitions that we made near the end of last year. In terms of gross margin, consolidated gross margin was consistent year over year at 34%. But of note, however, was that IRD's gross margin was 40% compared to 26% in Q1 of last year. This improvement in gross margin was largely the result of strong margins earned on certain select projects worked on during the quarter, as well as a higher proportion of product sales that typically have higher gross margins, including a very strong contribution margin of 64% from our newly acquired SensorLine business. In terms of operating expenses, the total operating expenses remained relatively consistent year over year at 12.5 million compared to 12.6 million in Q1 last year. 
And we continue to keep a close eye on our expenses, both at the corporate level and the operating companies. For adjusted EBITDA, both IRD and Wineland had positive adjusted EBITDA on a, on a segmented business basis. Um, IRD's adjusted EBITDA was 1.4 million, and Wineland's adjusted EBITDA was 1.2 million for the quarter. IRD's adjusted EBITDA improved $2.8 million year over year on similar revenue, again, due to the higher margin projects uh, in progress, as well as the higher margin product sales revenue, including from CenturyLine, as I mentioned before. On a consolidated basis, adjusted EBITDA was negative uh, $0.4 million after corporate expenses, which include our public company costs. Corporate costs were approximately a million dollar higher in Q1 2020 than in the comparative prior period. As we continue to invest in our ERP system implementation, that will position our company to continue to grow and scale. From a cash flow perspective, cash used in operations was 5.9 million in Q1, or approximately $1 million, excluding changes in non-cash working capital balances. The balance sheet remains very strong at $132 million in cash and about $150 million in working capital with zero long-term debt. We continued our quarterly dividend payments in Q1, and toward the end of the quarter, we became more active on our previously announced NCIB, which will continue until August of this year. This morning, in our earnings release, we announced details of our next dividend payment, the Board of Directors has declared an eligible dividend of 1.25 cents per share payable on July 9th for all shareholders of record on June 18th, 2021. So Paul spoke earlier of our intention to deploy 400 million over five years to scale our ITS business to M&A. And this morning, I'd like to share a few minutes to go over a slide that we think helps to illustrate the shareholder value creation potential of this strategy. So I'd like to start by reminding everyone that the information presented here is for illustrative purposes only, and that this is not to be construed as forecaster guidance. These are targets that we aspire to, but we are also confident we, that we can execute on. You'll see two charts on their revenue and adjusted EBITDA. They show the actual business results for 220, or 2020 in life loop. Then, in subsequent years, acquired businesses are represented by the dark blue bars on top. While these graphs move in a linear direction to up to the right, the actual deployment of capital into our M&A may vary year by year. What's most important, however, uh, is that for our illustration, um, you can see our target by the end of year five. There are a couple of assumptions we use to develop our illustration. First, the base business as reported at the end of 2020 is held constant with no growth rate over the five years. Also, we are not factoring in any proceeds from our current Apple litigation into our outlook here. Of course, we definitely expect our business, businesses will continue to grow organically as they've demonstrated. But for purposes of illustration, we're intentionally isolating the potential growth impact from our M&A efforts. 
The second key assumption is that we assume that Porter Hill's current market capitalization today is based on a sum of parts valuation of 10 times IRD's adjusted EBITDA plus our prevailing working capital in each year. Third, we will continue to deploy capital, which will primarily be from existing and newly generated cash flow, but may also include external capital when it optimizes our returns. And this will be deployed to execute our M&A strategy, acquiring smaller ITS companies at between five to nine times adjusted EBITDA, or possibly higher for higher growth for larger ITS companies already at a certain scale. So, based on these assumptions, as we execute our growth plans through M&A, we expect to inorganically grow revenue and adjusted EBITDA over the five-year period. In this initial example, we include $330 million in ITS revenue and about $50 million of ITS adjusted EBITDA incrementally to where we're today. This assumes, therefore, that our average acquisition multiple will be eight times EBITDA, and that has been consistent with the two transactions we've completed so far. Second, with our ITS business at scale, we believe it would attract a higher multiple, evaluation multiple, consistent with our other public ITS and IoT telematics companies that we that have achieved similar scale. So again, this, this slide is for illustrative purposes only, but we felt it was important to share with investors a sense of how we are planning to increase shareholder value over the next five years. And in closing, we remain focused on growing through M&A, building consistent and profitable revenue streams, maintaining our robust cash flows, and controlling expenses throughout all our businesses to increase shareholder value. This concludes my review of the financial results, and I'll now turn the call over to the operator for Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press stars and the number one on your telephone keypad. And your first question comes from the line of Doug Taylor with Canaccord. Please go ahead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Um, I appreciate that last slide that you shared with us <clears throat> there. So I guess I wanted to ask one question uh, to start on this slide, and that's, you know, uh, can you speak to the, the reasons and the justification for the expansion in the multiple from the kind of 10x um, that you're at now, buying things at eight times and yet ending up with a 14 times valuation multiple. What are the, you think the changes in the business model, the revenue mix or the dynamics that you think are going to justify that multiple expansion? It's, um, hey Doug, it's Paul. Uh, good morning. Um, so first of all, there's, there's some proof points already. I mean, the, the last two acquisitions we've made are in the mid single digit range. Um, there are also public comps that um, 
that we can provide to you that, that you know, public ITS companies that trade in the kind of 13 to 15 range and some a little higher than that. So there's a public comp sort of ITS companies at scale, I would call it. Um, you know, just looking at the M&A pipeline that we have, uh, the bigger deals uh, could potentially be slightly higher multiples than we paid for the first couple, but not by a wide margin, in my opinion. So it's kind of a combination of looking at the public comps of ITS, the deals that we've already done, the current pipeline, and we can see kind of a, a, a healthy gap between um, what, what, what we can pay and what we think we can get valued at at scale as an ITS. But maybe, John, you have other comments on that? Yeah, I do, Doug. It's a good question. Um, you know, obviously, as we, you know, we're, we're looking at companies that are not at scale, that are private, that are owner-managed businesses, um, you know, they don't have the same type of synergy potentials as a larger organization. We're seeing that now with SensorLine. Uh, you know, um, they have access to our sales channels, and, you know, we're already starting to uh, realize opportunities there. So I think, you know, in addition to um, past practice and what we've seen, what we can buy companies for, and what the public is valuing um, other ITS and, and adjacent industry companies at scale, you know, that gives us a lot of confidence. In addition to that, I would also say there are cost synergies as well to be, uh, to be realized. Um, obviously, if we're on common systems, common processes, common sales channels, um, there are opportunities in that respect as well too. And I just think as a larger organization, um, you know, the, the things that typically come with being larger and at scale, access to other opportunities, higher barriers to entry, things of that like, um, all contribute to the fact that, uh, you know, we're seeing these multiples in, in the public company markets. And the, the, um, the cost synergies that you talk about is not reflected in this, um, this, this graph or this, you know, demonstration you've given us here. This, this is straight on multiple accretion. Okay. Um, we have a more detailed model, obviously. I mean, we've tried to be conservative here, as I mentioned before. We want to try to isolate the, 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 the impact uh, of just our M&A program and a comparison with public company multiples uh, for larger companies at scale in our industry. But absolutely, um, with our internal models, uh, we model in growth rates, we model in cost synergies. We, we even model in, um, have several what-if scenarios in terms of sales synergies as well, too. So um, that's why we're, we're very confident. We're very uh, optimistic in the strategy. Okay. Um, and, and you point to, uh, you know, relatively stable, um, you know, performance uh, in terms of EBITDA from the YLAN asset, uh, which is anything but stable. Um, you know, in, in particular, you know, this year, I mean, is there anything standing in the way of, of you achieving, you know, that historic 40 million plus EBITDA and cash flow, you know, in, in 2021? Well, I, I think, I think you, you, um, you mentioned it right there is, is if you look at our last, you know, four or five year average for between 80, 90 million of revenue and 35, 30 to $40 million of EBITDA consistently on, on an annual basis every year. Um, nothing's, you know, come to our attention um, that would suggest that it would be other than that um, at this, at this time. 
And, um, you know, we have a lot of confidence in our wildland business and their, their ability and their track record of achieving those results. And I, I wonder, I mean, it, it was the assumed proceeds from, you know, the, the litigation with Apple, you know, a factor in that statement. Um, uh, could you help us with, think about that? Uh, I mean, I think Paul gave an update on the status. Um, you know, the variability because comes in, in the IP licensing business because of the the, the nature of that business and um, the sort of the relative lack of predictability and the timing, right? Um, but mm -hmm. also there are other considerations. Um, you know, our team is expert at, um, you know, the negotiation pro process to optimize the value of our licensing agreements as well. So that is also something that's uh, strongly considered. Um, during that process. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, I, I can't say, more. Yeah, I would also just say just a bit more color on that. Um, I mean, first of all, just on the Apple case, um, where we're at specifically on that is, um, you know, there's going to be an oral argument sometime in the fall, right, um, to the, the Court of Appeals. And um, normally, there's a decision made somewhere from three to six months after that um, hearing. That, that's kind of the historic norm. So if you play that out, it's kind of early part, you know, sort of called first half of uh, 2022. So just to answer your question, no, I, you know, unless we unless we settle the case along the way, um, just if you look at the timing of that process as it unfolds, it's it's more likely if it goes all the way to 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 bleed into twenty twenty two so so put another way, you could get there without it, um you feel um, yeah, listen, it's very Wyland has a very active pipeline. I mentioned a bunch of the things, right? Mm -hmm. There's Motorola, there's micron, there's AMD, there's Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Um, yeah, the Apple case in Germany. Uh, it is it is a it is a very active pipeline. It, it's it's a similar comment I have on the M and A pipeline. They're both very active. So um, yep. you know we're confident that that Wyland's going to perform to kind of a historic uh, performance. But you know on a quarterly basis, uh, we all know the profile of that business, um, and and that's what you do see if you look at it at the quarterly level. At the annual level, we're very confident. Okay. Uh, I mean, you've again kind of reiterated this $400 million capital deployment target for the next five years. Um, uh, you've obviously got over $100 million in cash right now and the ongoing cash flow, but um, perhaps you could just refresh us on, you know, you mentioned low cost sources of capital. Were you referring just to the cash on hand or, you know, what would be your ideal capital? Uh, you know, uh, structure um, to achieve that, um, uh, you know, uh, exiting 2025, I guess, if you, if you could pick. Uh, if we were, if, if, if we're looking at a larger acquisition or larger acquisitions, we are contemplating um, leveraging uh, through debt, primary debt. Um, at these interest rates, um, you, you can drive uh, greater returns, right? Um, sure. Assuming you have the growth profile, so we are looking at sort of leveraged and unleveraged scenarios as we model these acquisitions. I don't know, John, if you want to add something to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, Paul, I think you got the essence of it. Um, Doug, as we acquire companies, obviously we're acquiring cash generating companies as well too. And so with no debt and, you know, over seven times current ratio, we're, you know, we're under leveraged in my opinion. And so um, with the interest rates being so low, um, you know, I'm, I speak with uh, financial institutions all of the time who, you know, were approached by um, offering financing. And, um, you know, we can, the acquisitions that we make can easily support the carrying costs. So it just provides incredible flexibility for us to have, uh, you know, that available to us. And it also improves our returns, obviously, because we're, you know, the business that we're buying is basically funding and, uh, you know, servicing its own debt. And so um, it's definitely part of our strategy. Um, but, you know, we're going to be selective and thoughtful and have conservative conservative levels of debt where it's, it, you know, the, the coverage is, is, is easily managed. Okay. Um, I think I've hogged the line long enough. I'll pass it. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Paul Piotrowski with M Partners. Good morning, guys. Um, I just had a question. I had a question with respect to um, IRD. You guys noted some um, contract delays. Uh, can you guys go into just a bit more detail and talk about that um, and maybe just quantify it a little bit more? And then uh, as well, maybe add on what you were seeing in Q2. Yeah, it's not. I wouldn't say it characterizes as very substantial, but the the, the um, if you look at the revenue of IRD, there is a component of revenue around projects and also servicing of um, equipment that we have out in the field. For example, the way the revenue recognition works is you have to um, perform those services in order to recognize the revenue. So you can imagine with COVID, there are periods of time where the crews just can't um, get onto the site and we can't recognize the revenue. I mean, having said that, I have to say Q1 was a very strong quarter for IRD. It's, it's, it's a seasonally softer quarter because you're dealing with winter months, which also limits uh, the ability of the team to, to service some of their gear. Um, so it's always seasonally softer than other quarters. But having said that, if you if you add back the FX, because they had very big um, headwinds with uh, the U.S. The softening of the U.S. dollar, if you put that back in and look at it more from a constant currency basis, IRD had a very strong quarter, especially considering they had the headwinds of FX and COVID. Um, and, and so that's number one. Number two is sensor lines off to a fast start too. I mean, we've already done a deal in North America on that product. And we have a pipeline growing all over um, our distribution network. You know, this is a company with a great product, but it had very little in the way of sales coverage. And so, um, so you know, there, there is a bit of, uh, of that going on, but I think we're getting near the end of that, uh, hopefully. And, um, you know, it should be a strong uh, future. Okay, great. Um, and then I know this is um, pure speculation, but what do you guys kind of handicap? the odds of maybe coming to some kind of settlement with Apple ahead of time, or, or do you think this will kind of go the course? I, I, I really can't comment on that, and I, and I don't know. Um, I mean, that is always possible. We've seen it um, 
in the past with, with other uh, litigations that, you know, at a certain point that, that can make sense for both parties, but I can't really comment beyond that. Okay. All right. Um, that's it for me. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I'll pass the line. Thanks, Paul. As we have no further questions at this time, I will turn the call over to Mr. Hill for closing comments. Okay, well, thank you, operator, and thank you, everyone, for participating in today's call, and we look forward to speaking with you again uh, on the next call. Goodbye. This does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect your lines. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.